Please stand if you're able for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 6, 27 through 36. Please read aloud with me the verses in bold. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Every, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Brad. If uh, it's your first time with us, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love uh, to meet you and, uh, and know your name. We're in the middle of a sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, and today, Luke chapter 6. Um, Luke chapter 6 is a collection of Jesus' teachings. The, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the place where uh, Luke has placed them, and uh, the, the passage tells us that Jesus taught a great multitude of people and that all of Judea and Jerusalem and Tyre and Sidon were sending people. People were coming from all of those places to hear Jesus' teaching. And right in the middle of this collection of Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6, actually Luke 6.31, it says, and we just read, And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. The golden rule a version of the golden rule. For some people, the golden rule, this idea, do unto others as you would have them do to you, is a strong argument that all religions basically teach the same thing. Some version of the golden rule appears, according to ethicist Rushworth Kidder, um, in Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, Taoism, Zoroastrianism, and Confucian philosophy. For other people, the golden rule is evidence that religion itself is actually unnecessary. For them, this ethic is actually all you need. In 1813, there's a, a letter written from founding father John Adams to uh, Thomas Jefferson in which he says, justice for all, justice for everyone, the golden rule, 
do as you would be done by, is all the equality that can be supported or defended by reason or reconciled to common sense. So is Jesus just one amongst many wise teachers who have arrived at the same common ethical teaching? Well, we know for a fact that Jesus didn't come up with this. He didn't make up the golden rule. The Old Testament uh, in the book of Leviticus teaches love your neighbor as yourself. And Confucius was teaching something similar as early as 550 years before Jesus was born. So when we look at this passage, what we'll actually see is that like he so often did and uh, like he often does in collections of teachings in the scripture, Jesus actually is repeating something, something that everyone had heard before or would even have considered the law. And he is repeating it and placing in it a more radical demand than anyone before had intended. He takes this golden rule and he places it in the middle of what some would say is his most difficult teaching. And by so doing, he creates a demand on his listeners that can only be fulfilled by the power of God's grace. And so this morning... The hardest commandment and the reason behind the golden rule. Jesus' hardest commandment. The context of Jesus' teaching here in Luke is not the same context that most of us think of when we think of a good place to say the golden rule. That is, when we're trying to teach children on the playground how to get along, right? Do unto others as you would have them do to you or... Uh, when we're helping a brother or sister figure out how to help each other with their chores or um, trying to resolve a conflict between neighbors. Here, uh, Jesus' context is not good instructions uh, for getting along uh, in your everyday life, although all of those are obviously good applications for the golden rule. Uh, but all of those applications have a similar bias towards not doing something to others that you wouldn't want them to do to you. But Jesus says something actually more positive. He says, um, and I would say more demanding, he says, as you wish that others would do to you, so do to them. And he says it in the context of being fairly certain. He's actually giving instruction to us uh, about how to behave in contexts where we are fairly certain that others will continue to treat us in the way that we don't want to be treated. This is the context. He says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And our passage starts with Jesus saying, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And that's how Jesus starts his teaching. And it's a teaching love your enemies, that people like you and me have been trying to explain away and justify and avoid ever since he said it. Here's Luke chapter 6. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has just finished gathering 12 disciples, and he's beginning to describe to them what it will be like to follow him. 
what life as a disciple of Jesus will be like. And he, he begins by proclaiming four different blessings on his disciples and anyone else who would suffer for his sake. He says that they might have to endure poverty and hunger and sorrow and persecution, but throughout it all, they would be blessed because they did these things on the account of Jesus. Then he also announces some woes, four woes to anyone who chooses rather to live for themselves and their own pleasure. Anyone who thinks that they can live without God, Jesus pronounces these woes on. It's pretty chilling. And uh, the question is, how should the first group relate to the second? How do followers of Christ relate to those who either knowingly or unknowingly have made themselves enemies of God? That's the context for the passage. And that's a context into which Jesus says, love your enemies. So what does that mean? Well, some of you know, some few folks in the room have been around long enough to know that uh, when we began church planting in Sacramento, I was actually bivocational. That's a fancy way of saying I had two jobs. You can use that if you want, if you have two jobs. I'm bivocational. I was a pastor, and then I owned a little handyman business, and uh, we did, I did, uh, renovation and odd jobs, fix-it projects for people. And uh, mostly hung up the tool belt, but these days I will occasionally do uh, a project for somebody that I love uh, if it's particularly interesting or challenging or fun and I have some extra time. I've been working on a project like that for a friend recently, and I always promise when somebody asks to give them the friends and family rate. I say, I'm not really doing this for a living anymore, but that sounds fun. I'll give you the friends and family rate. I'm working for this family, and I got an email from her uh, in the past couple of weeks. And this is the email. She said, the, the, uh, the subject line says, enemy rate, question mark. <laughs> and she says, look, my neighbor's interested in having some work done, but she wouldn't qualify as friends and family, so what do you charge your enemies? We charge people on a different scale, right? We don't really say so, but that's the way most of us interpret the golden rule, too. The pagan philosopher Lysias once wrote, it is established that one should do harm to one's enemies and, and be of service to one's friends. Leviticus 19, right before it says, love your neighbor, it says, you should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. And most of the rabbis interpreted that to say, that it was okay to take vengeance and bear a grudge against people who were not your own people. We operate in the understanding that we owe love to the people that love us. But Jesus says, love your enemies. And he's very intentional about the word that he uses there. The word, the Greek word for love he uses is agape. Maybe you're familiar with the fact that Greek has multiple words for love. It'd be helpful to us sometimes, I think, if we had different words for love to identify what we were saying when we said, I love spaghetti. Uh, he's very intentional about the word. He's not saying that our enemies should stir in us some sort of natural affection. That would be storge. And he's not even saying that we should seek to find in ourselves some kind of brotherly love. When somebody hurts us, we say, man, I want to be friends with you. 
That would be phileo or philia. Commentator Leon Morris says that agape love is unnatural love. Love which is not drawn out by the merit of the beloved, but which, it, which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to love. And he says, agape, your, agape, your enemy. We all have people in our lives who we will have to choose to love. People who rub us the wrong way, for whom we have no natural affection and might not expect to ever have any natural affection. People who we would say, and in all of our authority can say with, def- with uh, clarity, they don't deserve our love. An annoying coworker, an eth- unethical boss, uh, some toxic relative. Uh, we also have more public, maybe more corporate enemies, we might say. Corporations that take advantage of people that we love or in this season, political opponents who denigrate or demean what we believe and how uh, we vote or even threaten violence. Possibly there are some in the room who could say uh, with clarity and personal experience that there are dictators leading invasions into the countries of their birth. We have enemies. And so if Christ is calling us to choose to love, and if agape love is a choice, then there must be some practical things that we could choose to do to try to train our hearts and direct our hearts to make that sort of choice to love even those who do not deserve our love. And we're in luck because Jesus gives a a progression of practical instructions to do just that. He says, do good to those who hate, bless those who curse, pray for those who abuse. Do good to those who hate. This means uh, loving with actions, doing good to those who do us wrong, making the choice whether our heart is in it or not to do good rather than uh, to reciprocate. Uh, So what does loving, choosing to love with action look like? In a sermon from 1957, ironically titled, Loving Your Enemy, Martin Luther King Jr. said, "Uh, there will come a time in many instances when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most, the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have the opportunity to defeat that person. It might be in terms of a recommendation for a job, or it might be in terms of helping that person make some move in life. And MLK says, that's the time you must choose to love. That is the meaning of love, he says. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional thing. Love is creative. Understanding goodwill for all men, it is the refusal to defeat any individual even my enemy. Jesus says, do good. Choose to do good to those who hate. Jesus says, bless those who curse. This means um, loving with speech, using words that are gentle or, or humble or show grace, even when words are being used towards us that show anger or contempt. A few years ago, we negotiated with our neighbors on three sides because the fence was falling down. So we needed to replace the fence all around our house. 
And uh, so it was, a, it was a big negotiation to help split the cost with this neighbor on this side and this neighbor on that side and so on, and I was going to build the fence. And when it was all done, I went over to our most cantankerous neighbor to ask for her portion of the money to pay for the fence project, and she greeted me at the door in anger. And she asked how stupid I could have been to install her gate the wrong way, the way that I did. And um, I felt a sudden rush of anger. I had lots of choice things that I just thought about saying to her. I wanted to say how great a deal she was getting on a brand new fence with no labor cost. I wanted to talk about how she hadn't lifted a finger to build a fence. But uh, instead, and I think mostly because I was in shock and my hair was blown back, I said, oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Will you forgive me? That's what I said. Will you show me what you mean? So we walked around the side of her house and looked at the gate while she told me how I hadn't listened to her and that she never should have trusted me. And uh, while at this point I wasn't feeling any natural affection for her (laughs) whatsoever, uh, in fact, I wanted to say something about how she never uses that dang gate anyway. (laughs) But as I looked, she was right. I had hung it in the reverse, it swung the opposite direction that she had asked. And uh, realizing that I still had to live next to her, regardless of what I would say, I said, oh my, you are right. Will you forgive me? And I'm serious, that's what I said. I don't actually talk that way very much. but I was working so hard to love her, and I didn't have any words of my own that weren't awful. And I said, please, will you forgive me? And she said, stop saying that. (laughs) And then while I fixed the fence, she brought me cookies and lemonade and a check but never an apology. Jesus said, do good to those who hate. He said, bless those who curse, which is using our words. He says, pray for those who abuse, which is probably the most profound of the practical instructions to love. Can I ask God to rescue people who hurt me? Can I... Pray that he would rescue them from their sin the same way that he's rescued me from mine. It's, I think it's important to remember, as Jesus says, pray for those who abuse. I think it's important to remember the immediate context uh, that Jesus is speaking into. He's talking about abuse that disciples would or might receive on account of their witness for Christ. So let's realize and be very clear here that Jesus doesn't excuse abuse or even say that it must be endured if it could be avoided. Jesus' instruction to turn the other cheek, which comes on the heels of this, has sometimes been interpreted to mean that Christians who suffer abuse, whether that's a spouse at the hands of a spouse or 
at the hands of a bully or some other situation that Christians who suffer abuse need to just take it. And I think that's a wrong interpretation. I don't think Jesus is instructing uh, Christians to be doormats. In fact, uh, I think it's a wrong interpretation for starters because Jesus didn't come to earth so that evil could have its way. He actually came to expose and dismantle it. For example, when Jesus himself is struck by a priest without cause in his, uh, in his uh, trial in John chapter 18, uh, he, he's struck in the face and he does not retaliate. However, he rebukes the priest and his peacefulness exposes the injustice and the evil of the action. This is the kind of situation that Jesus is referring to when he says, turn the other cheek, the kind of persecution that disciples might face as his witness. Um, It needs to be said that as we think about what it means to turn the other cheek, that there is no excuse for failing to protect the abused, no excuse for failing to report a crime, um, and a reminder that the scripture says that civil authorities are God's servant for the punishment of evil. There is a a way to deal with, expose and dismantle evil that God has given us. And uh, we are called to love our neighbors. But even uh, even as Jesus says, pray for those who abuse you, it's clear that there are times, especially in the case of physical or sexual abuse or emotional abuse, that we should note that you can pray for someone who has abused you from a safe place where you are no longer exposed to abuse and where your life and your health can be protected and preserved. In fact, uh, you need to get to that place and help people get to that place and be patient because arriving at that physical location does not mean they will be ready to pray for their abuser. Jesus says, doing good, blessing those who curse, praying for abusers. He he gives these actions that would look like loving your enemy. Three practical actions that could be for each of us the road towards what it would look like to keep that hardest of the commandments. I might even suggest that uh, sometimes the on-ramp is the reverse, starting by asking God to give you help to pray, to pray for someone who is in need of God to rescue them from the sin that they're perpetrating in your life. And as you begin to pray, it will begin to be harder and harder to hate someone who you're intentionally asking God to rescue in the love of Christ. And then as you pray uh, for someone, it becomes easier to see that they're human, that they're broken, that they are... They have humanity. It's easier to see that they have need. It's easier to ask that they would find forgiveness and freedom from their own sin. And then as God gives you grace to make that kind of prayer, it's easier to speak kindly to someone or be humble in someone's presence when you realize that they're not a monster, but they're a human in need of grace. And then when you can start to imagine yourself uh, speaking kindly, maybe... uh, doing good becomes a possibility in your mind. Maybe not even uh, because you expect to get anything from them, but because so much good has been done for you 
by Christ, even if you don't deserve it. So, Jesus gives the golden rule in the context of this hardest of his commandments. So, what is his reason uh, behind giving this instruction? It may be uh, that the golden rule seems to appear again and again in the world's religions and philosophy because this practical religion... um, Let me start that again. It may be that the golden rule seems to reappear because practical wisdom reveals that the strongest motivator in every unchanged human heart is selfishness. Confucius, for example, understood that he wasn't going to be able to change the selfish human heart by good ethical teaching but that he could motivate ethical behavior if he utilized someone's self-interest. Do to people what you want them to do to you. And this is essentially how uh, most of us, most people, interpret the golden rule. uh, He says, uh, do to others what you want them to do. Get what you want from others by giving them what you think that they want. And Jesus understands this, and he says, look, if you love those who love you, if you do good to those who do good to you, if you lend to those who you know will pay you back, even sinners do that. Everybody does that. Uh, In each case of Jesus' example, he's talking about offering help to someone in the expectation of reciprocation, right? I'm going to You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Almost everyone can love like that because it's based on self-interest. And we are really good at being selfish. Selfishness is actually at the core of our sinfulness, right? We want to serve me and not God. But Jesus is saying something radically different. Love not just the people who will love you and appreciate you and serve you back, but actually show love to people who hate you and curse you and humiliate you. Do unto others what you would have them do to you, even if, you're, even if you know that they're your enemies and they will never do unto you what you would have them do unto you. This is Jesus is getting, what Jesus is getting at is that this is the only kind of love that reveals the power of God's grace. Who is able to love without self-interest? Only someone whose heart has been transformed by the grace of God, who is receiving everything their self needs from God's good gifts and his love. Someone who... uh, Loved his enemies, you and me. The scripture says, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And so only someone whose heart's been transformed by the love of God who loved his enemies, you and me, so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. Uh, Who can love their neighbor truly? Only someone who realizes that they are loved in the purest, most selfless, self-sacrificing way that Christ has loved us and given himself on the cross. Only only someone who needs no reciprocity, right? Only someone who can love without expecting anything return because they've gotten everything that they need from Christ's gift to them. 
Only someone, as Jesus says in this teaching, only someone who is a son or a daughter of the Most High. Because the Most High has been kind to us while we were ungrateful. In fact, kind to us while we were evil. And so the instruction is not be merciful so that God will be merciful to you, but be merciful even as or because God has been so merciful to you in the love of Christ. 